I'm Naira. I'm Ellie. I'm Nina. I'm Joanna. This is Politics Under the Microscope, where we explore issues that matter to you by connecting science, policy, and society. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Politics Under the Microscope. I'm Naira, and you're listening to part two of our episode featuring Barbara and Jennifer of Cherokee Concerned Citizens, or CCC. If you're new to this series, CCC was formed by residents of the Cherokee subdivision in Pascagoula, Mississippi. It's a fence-line community in close proximity to petrochemical and shipbuilding plants, and its community members' quality of life is severely affected by air, water, and soil pollution. Today, we will explore how they gather data about their environment using a citizen science approach, how they approach their local governing officials, the challenges they faced, and how you can support their mission. Thank you, you know, b- both Barbara and, and Jennifer for telling us your story and sharing with all of, you know, the, the details about how your community is actually doing with this. One thing that Jennifer said earlier was when she was explaining, you know, what happened and where these health problems seem to be coming from, you said we had to figure all of this out on our own. And, you know, I, I take this piece and I also take, you know, what I found on, on your website through research that you guys are engaging citizen scientists, right? So you're, you know, equipping members of your community to actually collect data from the soil, from their local bodies of water, whatever it may be. And you're training volunteers to collect this data and actually, you know, put it together to make a case for making change. And this is the first of its kind I've seen just from my limited (laughs) contact with nonprofits. And so I'm wondering, you know, how did this idea come about and what has been the impact? Has it been useful? And I'd I'd love to hear what, what drove this. Yeah. Thank you for the question, because I think, you know, citizen science is really, just as you said, like, it is the thing that is going to get us to our goals and what we need, the buyout and compensation that Barbara was talking about. And it started, a couple of things sort of happened at once, right? Like, I don't know which one came (laughs) first, but like, we instinctively people knew like you're sitting outside and your eyes are burning your throat is scratching you know you know burnt scratchy throat you're you're seeing the dust on the car and uh this the smoke that's coming in your neighborhood right and so the question that people have is like well what's in the air (laughs) like what is this right and so so it was just a intuitive leap to say like, well, we need to figure this out, right? And so who do we reach out to figure that out? And that is the Mississippi Department of an Environmental Quality, right? So each state has their own authority that is delegated delegated from the EPA, right? And so we asked them, hey, test the air. Like, can you do that? And we asked them for two years and they kept telling us no. And so we started talking to other communities along the Gulf South. You know, the, the Gulf Coast is when it comes to the petrochemical and oil and gas industry, like it's huge here, right? And so there's lots of communities, environmental justice communities all along the coast. And we started to learn what they were doing. And one of the things that they were doing was testing their own air. 
testing their own soil and water, right? And so we started to get connected with some organizations that could help us do the training that could donate equipment, right? One of the first things that we did was particulate matter sampling and and the particulate matter sampling, the mini vol is like a $5,000 piece of equipment. We got that donated. And there's an organization that's that doesn't exist anymore, but Community Science Institute that came down and trained. We had like, I think 12 to 15 of us. Barbara and I were there uh, <laughs> being trained on how to take these particulate matter samples and how to use the mini ball. And, and uh, there's an organization called the Bucket Brigade that takes instantaneous grab samples. And so we were taught on how to, how to do that. And yeah, so that's, that's how it started. It was, I think, you know, 2016, about two years into our organizing. And honestly, you might have to help me out with this, Barbara, because I don't remember, like, if it was soon after that, that MDQ actually agreed to do testing. It was, or if it, it was like right before, like we were was, like, we're going to do our own testing. And then they're like, no, we will. Oh, yeah. And then they decided to try to step into the plate after we were like, okay, well, y'all, somebody going to teach us. We're going to do our own testing. And these are, we're going to send, we've done our own testing, had samples sent off. And of course, since we are not professionals, our numbers against their numbers were totally way off. Of course, theirs was right. And we did the same testing, but of course, theirs was right. We were told that as for even the air monitors, the closest one that we had is about, I need to Google that and see exactly how far Senior River Hospital is with the air monitoring. We smell bad chemicals. By the time it gets to that, it has depleted. I mean, you got to travel. You know, the wind is blowing. You're not going to smell that on the other end of the... Yeah, Singing River Hospital is in Ocean Springs, which is two cities away from Pascagoula. <laughs> so probably about 15 miles yeah, um, at least. Um, and so, and that's what they kept telling us. The Mississippi Department of Environmental Quality kept saying the air quality is good, right? But... But what they use to do air quality, what they're using to measure, and the, the thing that Barbara's talking about is it's measuring for things like greenhouse gases. And it does measure for particulate matter, which was one of the concerns, but it was ambient air quality. And so if you know anything about that, there's a difference between ambient air quality and hazardous pollutant air quality, right? And so ambient air quality is not measuring for things like benzene. Stop measuring things like hydrogen cyanide and ammonia that Chevron That's is putting right. out. Yeah, it's not, it's not, it's, it's measuring for particulate matter and like the sizes, but it's not measuring for what's, what are the constituents of that particulate matter? Like we called it dust, right? They were like, this, what's this dust in our community? It's heavy metal. It's aluminum, beryllium, cadmium, calcium, iron, manganese, magnesium, potassium, titanium, silica, like that's what's in the fine particulate matter. We tested it and we learned that the concentrations and every test we've done since on people's property has confirmed these same high levels of these same constituents in terms of particulate Mag matter. Magnesium levels are extremely high. Really? I don't know how many people 
in this neighborhood has to take magnesium. Okay, this stuff is, I'm like, okay, y'all, we're inhaling this mess. And it's just, it's just horrible. I mean, you know, it, it don't make sense. When the doctors tell you your best outlet is to move, okay, Mr. Genius, how am I supposed to move? How? You're 75 years old. You're going to pick up a bed and move it, really? And where are you going to go? Where are you going to go? You got to find a house. Housing prices are ridiculous now. I looked at a little bit of small house, called a man and asked him about it. I couldn't even get my queen size bed in a bedroom. And he said, $96,000. I said, where am I supposed to put my bed? In this neighborhood that's killing people. And he was like, well, I didn't know we had problems with, I'm like, what planet do you live on, sweetheart? You're a real estate investor and you don't know anything about the place where you're sending people, you're selling a house in a neighborhood where people can't breathe. How smart is that? So, you know, it's, 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 it's sad, but it's, it's the truth. I mean, it's fact. We have 200, they want houses in this area. $291,000 for a house that me and my mom called about the other day. And I asked him, I said, why are the houses so expensive in this neighborhood that is contaminated? He said, well, what do you mean contaminated? I said, do you not know where you live at? Or where you, you know, you got this house for sale at? I said, you live right here at Chevron, sweetheart. If they drop a bomb, guess what? We're gone. You don't know what they got going on over there. He said, well, sometimes, you know, you can walk outside and it smell like boiled eggs. No kidding. <laughs> really? And I'm like, Lord Jesus, you so smart. <laughs> I'm <Now>, sorry. <laughs> your, your mama has the best response, Barbara, whenever they tell her that she should just move. She's like, my house ain't a box. I can't just pick it up and leave. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, it is, it's incredible. It's, it's incredible to me, you know, the, the responses you get and, you know, you're getting all of these common sense recommendations and it, it's not that easy and it's not that simple. And, you know, this really is a great segue in, into the next question, right? Can you tell us a little bit more about the demographics of your community versus, you know, Mississippi overall? And how do you think this impacts how people respond to you and how advocacy looks? Yeah, it's a it's a really good question. And, you know, the, the community is racially diverse as a working class neighborhood. And, you know, as Barbara was saying, like, you know, even the houses selling at 200. I, that may say, sound sort of, you know, really low for New Yorkers. But in Mississippi, that's uh, that's actually pretty high. Uh, but yeah, the Cherokee subdivision is a neighborhood of about 120 households. Um, there's lots of um, families and elderly people, people that have been living there for like 50, 60 years. Um, and um, half the houses are uh, are, homeown are homeowners and then some are like rented out, right? Um, and a few of the homes have been sold. And like since Katrina, some people like chose not to rebuild or even come back. And so, so over the years, the population of just that residential 
community is is getting smaller and smaller and we're getting more renters come in and the renters don't stay for very long, you know, a year tops. And so in terms of like advocacy, that impacts our advocacy, right? Because people are coming in and out and like trying to organize the community. So we have to like regularly like walk the neighborhood and meet our neighbors and like, you know, to be bringing people in. It's a good part of organizing anyway, but like people are, are moving in and out. And some people have, you know, taken a loss and gotten out because they had to. One of our first founders had two children with serious respiratory issues, and one of which was in and out of the hospital um, with regular breathing treatments and so forth. We're glad to say that she's doing very well now, living somewhere else and able to breathe and no longer has to have breathing treatments and so forth. But that's not an option for everybody. Some people that, like, you know, are... 50 years into a mortgage, right? They raised their children and grandchildren there, and this is their home and their assets, right? So, and then, you know, in Pascagoula, a lot of people work in the industry. So, you know, there's the Chevron, there's the shipbuilding operations, VT Halter and Halter Marine and the first chemical, you know, so there, there's a lot of industry just in, in our in backyard, but also there's some in the surrounding area in Moss Point and Pascagoula. And so, you know, it's a big industrial community. And so that makes it hard to organize as well because people are afraid of losing their job and causing trouble for industry that has like a lot of power and a lot of sway with elected officials and state agencies, right? And that, you know, we heard industries use tactics. Like they would, some of the employees were told not to talk to us. They were threatened with their jobs not to talk to us. We, we put up signs in the community about meetings and they were told to take them down. We actually had to start advertising our meetings a little bit differently because companies would send their employees to, to be disguised as like concerned citizens and like just be there to watch and like basically listen, you know, track us. They could go and report. Keep, keep, yep, keep tabs. And, and, we, we notice like unmarked vehicle, like like white vans and like certain, mm -hmm. sometimes we'll notice like people from the industry, like driving through the neighborhood slowly, necking, sometimes parked. Like, you know, you really feel like you're being watched. I remember, what, what was that one meeting that we were at, Barbara, where like there was private security disguised in like khaki pants and stuff. Oh, yeah, that, and th that was another training that he wanted to see what was going on when we were at Dr. Chandler's. Yeah. Building. Yeah. We had this man come. We're like, who is this? And where did you come from? Who are you? And when he went to Sumlin and Mumlin, I said, mm hmm. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Okay. Yeah. So, like, you know, the, the industry is keeping tags. And some of them, like Chevron, has like a community liaison person. So they, they send their community liaison person out all the time to like, check in on us and see how you're doing and like if you have any issues like call us first and like we know why that you want us to call you first because you don't have to report it right you can fix the problem and they'll they've even gone as far as like to take air samples you know but it's it's all sort of a strategy to make them seem like they're a good neighbor and just to keep tabs on us and to see like how much how much power and influence we're gaining in in the in the you know community and public opinion. The other thing is like, I grew up, you know, on the coast my entire life. And we always talked about the Pascagoula smell. My dad worked at the shipyard and stuff. And, and so people yeah. know, like there is something in the air, but not everybody knows that 
it there's a health impact. And like the more that we get involved in doing this work and engaging with the Mississippi Department of Environmental Quality, I really think that this sort of disconnect doesn't just exist in the mind of people, but it also exists in the structures, right? So like the EPA is not, they will tell you, MDQ and EPA, they're not a public health agency, right? They write policies and regulate pollutants in order to protect public health and the environment but they are not a public health agency. And so when they set standards, they're not always setting the same standards that a public health agency would. And there's a huge disconnect between these two structures, right? And public health agencies will tell you they're not environmental regulators. So what they do cannot be enforceable through MDEQ and Right. And so like it's a it's you're talking in circles. And so this sort of disconnect between industrial pollutants and health is like intentional. Right. And so it's no wonder when we go knock on doors and we talk to people, we say, you know, is the industry causing any problems? Like, well, you know, smell some odors here and there, but it's you know not that big of a deal. And I'm like, OK, well, have you experienced any issues with that? We're like, mm, I don't I don't think so. Well, what about respiratory issues or anything. Oh, actually, yeah, my daughter has, she was diagnosed with asthma. Oh, and and I have this rash, does this count? Like, you know what I mean? Like, so people start realizing, oh, wow, actually, yeah, I do have health issues. And then when they start talking to other people who also have health issues, they're putting it together and they're like, oh my gosh, this is, okay. wow, I'm not it's alone real. in this. Yes, it's real, you know, and and wow, it could actually maybe be the industry, right? And so light bulbs start to go off. But it's 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 it requires that type of direct engagement, you know, and those types of conversations. And even then it's an uphill battle to get people to engage further just because of the influence that industry has in that political environment, right? And you know, Mississippi is like a lot of other southern states. We are hostile to environmental regulations. There's a law in the books that says Mississippi state cannot pass a environmental regulation more stringent than EPA, right? So we can't do what California does and, and pass higher base standards. And, you know, certainly not at the city level and not at the state level. That law prevents them from doing that. And, you know, our state is so supportive of industry. Barbara alluded to this earlier. BT Halter and we like to say in part because of, of our pressuring and testing, but BT Halter, which is a shipbuilding operation and they do sandblasting, they were forced to build an enclosure, legally forced because of air, clean air violations, right? Our governor <laughs> awarded them $11 million to help pay for the enclosure. And then they celebrated BT Halter for building the enclosure as being a good neighbor and creating jobs, leaving out the part that they had been violating the Clean Air Act and polluting, you know, the nearby community, right? That's how, <laughs> that's how our elected officials like to spit it, you know? And that $10 million tax break that Chevron gets, I mean, that's another th piece of thing that happens. You know, the local city council and supervisors will give tax breaks to Chevron, even as the infrastructure, you know, the city and county's infrastructure is starting to fall apart. And the population of Pascagoula is declining. It's been declining since Hurricane Katrina. Like people decided not to come back. And there's no wonder, like who would want to come back to an industrial town that has nothing, that offers nothing for people, you know? And so 
you know, so that's the environment. And then the last thing I'll say about the environment is the permitting process. It's such a joke. When Barbara was saying we've done everything that they've told us to do, the very first thing they told us to do, and by they, I mean this is the Department of Environmental Quality. That's the group that we took our complaints and concerns to. And we did everything that they told us to do. The first thing they said, you need to participate in Title V permits. Title V permits are basically all facilities that pollute a lot, essentially, that release a lot of contaminants into the air have to get a permit. In order to be able to legally pollute, they have to apply, you know, they pay like $46 a ton or something like that. I don't know. But anyway, so MDEQ is the agency that writes the permits. They have to lean a lot on the company to describe their whole process and things like that. The permits are up for renewal every five years. The DEQ has 18 months after the five-year expiration date to reissue another permit. So in 2014, the Mississippi Department of Environmental Quality held a training for us in the community. It says, like, yeah. how, how do we properly engage and effectively engage in the permit process, right? And they told us that this was a great year because almost every single one of those seven facilities were up for renewal. We learned that Mississippi phosphates permit at that mm -hmm. time, while it was still active, had been expired for 10 years yes. and was still not reissued. Now, granted, it was never reissued because they ended up filing bankruptcy before the end of the year. But the only permit that became available in that year was Chevron cogenerating plant or Mississippi power cogeneration plant, which is the power plant for Chevron. Chevron is so large, it's like three times the size of our neighborhood that has its own power plant. And so in that permit, we had a hearing and everything. We asked for comments because they had old grandfathered equipment. We asked them to change it and all this stuff. What is this year, 2022? Um, mm -hmm. We still don't know if that permit was ever approved. You go on to the MDAQ cool. website, it is not there. <laughs> and then the other permits, all the other six facilities that were supposed to be at Ferrer Nil took years later we're still waiting on Chevron's. So it's been expired for eight years now. It's been expired. Well past the 18 months. And this is the process we're supposed to participate in to affect change. Not only that, though, the kinds of comments they want are technical because they don't they're not a public health agency, right? They don't want to hear that. 20, that 35 people in our neighborhood have cancer, that in the last five years, 23 people have died. They don't want to hear the result of a health survey that says that, you know, the average number of days that the residents are sick is 9.3 days a month with, ha with some people being sick 15 days of the month. 40% of the ones that we surveyed consider themselves sick as opposed to healthy right? They don't want to hear that people are having issues with cardiovascular, lungs, respiratory, you know, cancer, you know, mood and behavior disorders, you know, like neurological issues. They don't want to hear that stuff. They don't want to hear the anecdotal stories of like Barbara was talking about with the dog, you know, being burnt or the, the founder, her chemical asthma, right? They don't want to hear those anecdotal stories. They don't accept our odor logs or our documentation, signed documentation by 32 people that says, hey, you're still sandblasting because guess what? We still see this dust 
this, you know, I got that in air quotes for those the viewers who are just listening. This this particular matter of heavy metals that has been on our property for years that is supposed to have stopped because of the enclosure is still coming over. They don't want to accept any of that. They want to hear us say things like, you know, best management practices. They want us to know about the new type of equipment or EPA method for regulating benzene or, you know what I mean? Like, we don't know that stuff. This is so technical. And if you were to read Chevron's permit, you have to read the per you have to read the draft permit. You have to read the information relative. You have to read all kinds of other reports, emission mm -hmm. datas and startups and shutdown releases and all this stuff or whatever. You're talking about at least 1300 pages worth of information, at least. And it's highly, highly technical. So, you know, if we can afford to get scientists to look at that, but like citizens can't, you know, do anything. So like our ability to affect change through the public comment process for the Title V is it's definitely not the way that communities can get what they need and be protected, the environment and their health be protected. And the last thing I'll say about that is the reason why we do still participate every single time is not because we actually think something's going to change, but to put it on record because that's part of the legal strategy and that's where the win is. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing all this information with us and i think you know it perfectly segues in, into the next question given all of the challenges that you faced in the past several years what can americans outside of your community do to advocate you know alongside your community for a better future and and hopefully a better outcome well there are several things if you're in an area where there is industry, start taking your health surveys. Start contacting these companies. What are you using? You know, I was thinking about some of the things Jennifer was saying, and one of the things that that was in high volume of usage over here with them sandblasting those ships was black beauty. We don't use black beauty. Okay, well, why is it the lab report says this is what was on my vehicle? My dad was a welder. He could smell something and tell you exactly what it was. He could hear something and know exactly what he was talking about. And just as sure as he said it, it was in the process. After Hurricane Katrina, we had some barrels in our yard. We don't know where they came from, but they came, but they had, some of them had VT Halter on them. Some of them had Chevron on them. Some of them had First Chemical. Some of them had Mississippi Phosphates on them. Do you not understand? These people came and got these barrels, did not say what was in them did not ask, look, are y'all having any problems, any health issues with these barrels in your yard? We don't know if they were contaminated or what, but I do know that they were in a hurry to get them. So that would let, that makes me say, okay, well, whatever was in there shouldn't have been on this property. If it should not have been on my property, I know it shouldn't be on yours. So, Again, they cover up 
what they want to cover up. You know, we have taken test tubes of water drainage. Guys, get in your neighborhood. If the water is sleek and slimy and oily, get you a container. If it's a glass jar or plastic jar, write on the date, write the date and the time you collected the sample and where you collected it and send it out. Start to do some things on your own because they're not going to voluntarily help you do nothing. So you have to start on your own. Request your medical records. Request that, look, I'm having some nerve problems. I'm having issues with muscle spasms. These are all symptoms. Okay, tell your doctors what's going on. Start to look up what's going on or what are the side effects of inhaling too much benzene. If we don't educate ourselves, we've been blessed with Google. Google it. Hey, it can't hurt. Yeah. You know, for somebody that's slow like me, Google will become your best friend. <laughs> but you need to know, if you know five people in your neighborhood and you're living close to a facility that produces chemicals, look at the five, these five people and see if they're having memory loss, see if they are having continuously having muscle spasms, they're having mental issues, it causes confusion. These are chemicals react, you know, these are side effects of chemicals that's being released. We, a lot of times, don't think about it. But when you start to look at it, and if everybody in that same area is having the same problem, yep. you need to dig a little further. Go through the process of finding out who's at, who's over at MDEQ, EPA. Call your state senator. Call your mayor. Call your governor. Look, something stank. You need to come see what it is. You know, that's just bottom line, you know. So, you know, these are things that go through oh. that heat. And there's a lot of gas trucks mm -hmm. that's yep. continuously flowing. Yep. I mean, it's a continuous basis. And all of them are not driving 30. Mm -hmm. Some of them big boys is running 60 and 70 miles now. Okay. Yeah. I, I agree with you, Barbara. I think like, you know, getting to know your own surroundings and like what you're being exposed to is a good place for people to understand and start. And I think like one of the things that's important to know is that like community air monitoring testing and like public health assessments and things like that, those are not legal requirements for you know, the EPA or DEQs, right? And so what kind of what kinds of changes would we see is if, if those were legally required, right? Mm -hmm. And like how that would force accountability for these industries. And so that would be one thing that I'd like to see is like environmental justice being taken seriously in a way that it currently isn't. And that cleanup, buyouts, relocations, health costs, and things like that are part of this plan. And and that the new administration is, you know, committed to environmental justice, but we don't hear them talking about relocations and like legally requiring environmental testing and stuff. And the last thing I'll say is that, you know, the best way, just the whole point is that they're permitted to pollute, right? And so oil, gas, petrochemical companies, like 
they we need to transition. We need to transition away, right? And for our climate, for for these fence line communities all across the nation. And so, you know, advocating for a green economy, justly sourced renewable energy, things like that are part of helping in the long term for, you know, communities to live a better, healthier future. So start learning in your own community, fight for environmental justice and green economy. Thank you to the members of Cherokee Concerned Citizens for taking the time to interview with us. In this episode, we learned about the experience of a fence line community and the challenges they face in fighting for environmental equity. To learn more about their cause and how you can help your community do the same, please visit our resources page at politicsunderthemicroscope.com. See you next time.